You're tuned into Fork Podcast. This week's guest is Dean Hollingworth, strength and conditioning coach. He shares the story of his beginnings as a personal trainer, what it takes to build a solid personal training career, and how his experience led him to be a strength and conditioning coach. People don't care how much you know until they know you care. And I've always lived by that, and that's really helped me along in my business. Hi, guys. Welcome to Fork Podcast. I'm Sean Chris Lewis, your host. And today I'm sitting with a good buddy of mine. This is a this is a big change for me. Most of the people I interview, I'm just talking to them practically for the first time. But this time, I got an old friend sitting in front of me, and I'm so excited for this. He is Dean Hollingworth. He is a strength and conditioning specialist. He's so much more than that as a coach and as a friend. And uh, I'm just really excited to share his story here with all you guys. And uh, Dean, thanks for having me in your beautiful home, Christmassy. We're all set. Thank you so much, Sean, for having me. Um, I'm glad this has finally come to be. We've discussed doing this for a few weeks now and uh, been looking forward to it all weekend. Yeah, it made so much sense to just for us to do this. I mean, we have history. Actually, when I first met you, you were working as a personal trainer, right? That was that was your thing. And I was super impressed when I first met you at how busy you were. I knew personal trainers who were struggling to build their schedules up, but you were this guy. I mean, you're driving a nice car, you're making money, and your your schedule was full. And how long did it take to get like really successful as a personal trainer for you? Um, It's actually quite, I find it to be an interesting story because I started doing personal training. It kind of fell into my lap. Um, I always worked out. Uh, I was playing uh, CJEP football at uh, John Abbott College and we had to lift weights. They had started a weightlifting program. And you can tell like I'm 5'7", 5'8", weigh 175. Even back then I was the same size. So I I was really involved with weight training and at a gym every day in Dorval working out, working out there almost seven days a week until one day they said, um, we're looking for somebody on the weekend. And I thought, Hey, this could be fun. And I was always told when I was training with friends or family and they said, you know, there's something about working out with you. That's really interesting. Like you make it fun. Uh, the intensity you bring to it, it, was, it just seemed like a natural step for me. So I started working at the gym. I worked there. I was still going to school. I was doing a specialization in psychology. I was writing an undergrad thesis. And um, someone had asked me, like, look, I have too many in-home clients. Would you like to have one or two of them? And I thought, okay, I'd like to try that. And it, it worked out really well. The interesting thing about that was after a little bit of time, I found that I wasn't being treated fairly within this person's personal training company. Oh, so you were actually um, sort of contracted by them to, he didn't, or she didn't just give you clients. No, no, I was actually working for this person. And um, it was interesting because the pay was pretty low and uh, prices were always going up. He was putting up my client's prices that I was working with and I wasn't getting any extra money. And at one point I thought it was a year I thought, okay, this is enough. I'm not enjoying this. I didn't actually enjoy working for this person. I found that their idea of personal training wasn't in line with mine. It was more about the money, less about the people. Um, It was a really just make as much as you can, uh, not caring about the client. I had a bit of a different view with that. I really enjoy making a connection with the client. 
uh, one of my philosophies, if you will, is, you know, people don't care how much you know until they know you care. And I've always lived by that. And that's really helped me along in my business. And I was lucky enough that when I quit, the people that I had, I had five clients, four stayed with me. So I was very, very lucky. One thing I wasn't as lucky with was I got sued. You know, the guy shows up at your door with a with a letter saying, okay, you know, you're done. I was really young back then and nervous, obviously. I'd never dealt with a lawyer before, and I thought this. And got a lawyer, and he said, listen, there's no problem. He wrote a letter, and it it went away. Now, to go back to your question, how it all started, I did meet one person. This one client that took a really big interest in me was extremely nice to me and said, we got to get you busier. And he literally picked up the phone and started making phone calls and I started having clients. And it was just a perfect uh, ending to my school because I had just graduated from university. I wanted to do a master's, but now I had this whole personal training business around me where I was seeing, I was busy. I had a full-time job. And it was, it was probably about eight years after that that we met and I was training people at the Roby Spa downtown. Yeah, yeah so we talked about that. You did it really the right way. You were at school And remember, we were out the other day for a few drinks and I said, you know, I just want you to share your story with other trainers about the difficulties of beginning. And your answer was, yeah, but Sean, it wasn't that difficult. And I said, yeah, but hold on, rewind for a second. Why wasn't it that difficult? And you said, well... Sean, I wasn't doing it full-time right away. So I had these two or three clients. I was at school. I was making a little money, personal training. So to you, you said that felt like success. Your beginnings felt like you were doing very well because even if it was only two or three clients, you were making money in something you loved. And by the time you graduated, there you were. You created something. It it obviously didn't happen overnight. And I think there's a general rule in business that... You know, if you start a new company, it takes about three years for it to truly get off the ground. I mean, I've heard that before. Again, if if it wasn't for this one client, I don't know what would have happened or what the progress would have been. But as we discussed that night also, I mean, I was actually putting ads in, in the paper. Mm-hmm. And as I, as I told you, I might get some really weird phone calls from people uh, looking for other things than personal training. Yeah, yeah, that's, that always <laughs> happens back in the days of doing ads in the paper. I attended one of your seminars at Concordia University where you were just hired to speak to personal trainers, the people who are in their athletics department. And you didn't talk once about lifting weights, man. You didn't talk once about exercise. Your whole presentation was on professionalism and showing up on time, looking the part. Can you talk a bit about that? Like your philosophy, like what do you think makes a great personal trainer? Well, the first thing that comes to mind is um, I had a client um, back in the day who happened to have been one of the four that stayed with me. And after a couple of years of going to see him, He was an older gentleman, probably in his late 60s, early 70s. And one day I walked in and he looked at me and goes, you're going to be successful. And I said, what what makes you say that? He goes, you are never late. And uh, I thought, being being on time is something that you truly have control over. Now, there are circumstances when it's snowing or traffic and things like that, but I can pretty much count on one hand how many times I've been late in over 20 years. Like that is the number one thing. And when you have somebody that's always on time, that truly is an indication of their dedication to what they're doing. 
The other thing you said is the professionalism. You hear a lot of trainers, you hear a lot of talk about trainers that have had awkward situations, whether it's in the home or with clients in terms of being, you know, not professional, we'll call it. Uh, you understand what I'm saying or do I need to go on with that? I mean, just... Do you mean like advances a client might make towards... A, yes, a, okay. and vice versa. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. one thing I'm extremely... You, are, are you saying that a personal trainer shouldn't have sex with their client? Is that a bad idea, Dean? <laughs> Is this a bad thing? I, I, I would have to say that. And it... All joking aside, it really did break my heart when I'd hear like, oh, yeah, did you hear about so-and-so? Uh, he slept with his client or Bingo. she, she did that. You know what? Because what it does, it dirties the, the, the profession. And, 100%. And, and it's, we're only as good as our weakest link. I mean, this is a tough question to just bring on you right here, but what, what would you say are you seeing presently that you find is, uh, is sort of like uh, maybe creating a not so positive image of our profession i think if you look at social media right yeah, now yeah. and the the videos that are being put out there we all know the exercises bench press squat you know it's push pull hinge squat all those things mm -hmm. people want to make it more cirque du soleil and i'm there to train you in the most safe and effective way and, and people don't understand that. And if you look at social media of balancing on a ball with a kettlebell here and blah, blah and it, it's a free-for-all. And I think that's what's, that's what's really doing us a disservice is people just trying to be more entertainers than trainers. So I don't like the circus myself, man. And, I, and tell me, like, okay, touch on this. When you have somebody who's 45 or 50 who wants to start the circus act, what are you thinking as a personal trainer? What am I thinking? I'm thinking you're going to get hurt. That's what there I'm thinking. Is. I mean, that, that's, that's, that's the point. <laughs> I have clients that follow, you know, um, certain, we'll call them celebrities now, online celebrities, uh, because they have so many followers and they're performing exercises that are like, listen, it's impressive but it's not for a 45, a 55-year-old man or woman to be doing unless you're in that type of shape. Like, why don't we do that? Well, you probably break in half. That's why you, we don't do that. And it, my job is, you know, besides, keep, besides helping uh, a client, whether it's uh, in personal training or strength and conditioning, besides helping them achieve their goals, my, my main goal is you don't get hurt when I'm with you. I think it's an injury occurring and anything's possible, an injury occurring with a trainer on site while they're there, I mean, that's a big strike against you. The injury part really sucks, man. And especially if you're older, I think you and I have, a. I mean, you train a lot of young athletes, but your personal training client base, I think are mostly our age group, which are people in their fifties and older. And when you get hurt in your fifties and man, that can take a long time to get better. It takes a long time to recover now. I mean, I, I've uh, suffered a few injuries in the last year, um, um, one that's a little uh, embarrassing because I was playing pickleball and I tore, I tore. Dude, you got hurt playing pickleball. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> people laugh about that all the time. I'm laughing. You, you should be laughing and everybody else should be laughing too because it's kind of, it's almost sad. But uh, I tore a tendon in my foot and it, it took, it took a considerable amount of time to heal. And then even after that, because, you know, you think I'd know better and I don't, I didn't rehab it properly. And then I just got over uh, tendonitis in my Achilles. 
So, you know, I'm, I'm facing that battle too. Yeah. But going back to that, I really think that uh, people have to not only consider what they're doing in the gym, but doing it also on a consistent basis. And I think that's the big thing. It's not because you train, you know, once or twice a week that you're going to get the goals you want. It has to become a real lifestyle. And it's not just through the gym, but it's like you said, through your eating habits, getting enough sleep. I don't think we talk about sleep enough, uh, how people are lacking sleep and how that really plays with your system, especially if, if you're putting on weight. There could be a reason there because you're not getting enough sleep. I never used to have problems sleeping. And now I'm like, now I got like night sweats and stuff. And then I Googled that and it's like, you, you could have cancer. Oh, don't don't, don't like, Google that. That's second. the worst thing wait you can do. Second, I have cancer. I thought I was asleep. I, I thought I was no, no. sweating in my sleep, dude. So I'm like, okay, I won't Google that anymore. My wife says, Sean, you need to meditate more. I feel like a super relaxed guy now, maybe six months ago. And every other year before that, I was a very high strung stress guy. But the last few months, I feel very connected. I feel very centered. But I really thought that would have taken care of the sleep. But I'm not, I'm still not sleeping well. well what, what are your tricks? What um, do you do? I've never slept well. So uh, I've, <laughs> no, I really haven't. I mean, I'm such a light sleeper that uh, the smallest, smallest sound will wake me up. And, you know, if I hear something on the street, I have to investigate. Right? <laughs> it's, it's my, my wife you does literally go and investigate the sound. Well, I don't go outside. You live in a very, very nice neighborhood. But, I don't think anything's going on out there. Well, my wife calls me old man Hollingworth, right? Because here <laughs> I am peering through, the, peering through the window trying to see what's going on. But um, that's always been a problem of mine. And one thing that has helped is, is I do stretch or I do try to stretch prior to bed. Yeah. I find, yeah. I find that helps, uh, reading, um, uh, do some, you know, gratitude. Um, you do that. Yeah, I do, do that. Do you write that? Is that something you do written or? You know, no, no, I, I don't write. I mean, last night I was really, it was something I thought, okay, I'm going to get back into it. Cause I have a book, I have a journal next to my bed with a pen and I could have started for whatever, whatever reason I didn't. What we actually did last night, my wife and I, is we actually talked about what we were thankful for Sunday. And, uh, you know, like it was a nice relaxed day at home. It was a beautiful meal. Um, anything that we found that was joyful and, and brought us pleasure of the day, we shared with one another. And I'm hoping that something, I mean, it's one day in a row, so we're on a streak of one. And I'm hoping uh, we can take that uh, for a few days in a row. So let's talk about your clients a, l a little bit more because that's that's one thing that I wanted to cover with you because from your transition from personal trainer into much more specifically strength conditioning coach right now, especially working with young tennis athletes, mm -hmm. and that must put you in a very different position, which is you know going from working with people in their homes, just trying to help them to learn to be in shape to actually working with athletes who need to perform. What's your take on young people right now and the way we seem to be pushing them into so many different sports? What do you take as a coach? What is that kind of thing, that hustle of daily life due to the children and the families? And also, what does that do to a kid who's not obviously going to be a super you know, professional. That was a lot of questions. That was that a ton was... of questions, and I'm expecting an answer from all of them. Well, Did you write them down? No, I, I'm, I'm hoping. <laughs> I'm hoping I memorized that. But 
what I'd like to start with is that the first thing I believe you asked me was how I made the transition from... I'll take your word for yeah, it. I don't, I don't even remember my questions. That is water, by the way. Um, how I made the transition from personal training to like more of a strength and conditioning coach. And it, it, it first of all, listen, sports have always been a passion of, of mine. I, I Anything to do with sports, even when I went to personal training conferences, if there were lectures giving specifics just about sports training or speed agility i took it even though i couldn't implement it with 95 percent of my clients it was something for me and i'm really really happy i did that because i was ready once the opportunity came knocking at my door that i was asked to be a fitness director at a club called Lies, mm-hmm. uh, you know which is one of the largest tennis facilities in montreal i went there and immediately, um, I was asked to start working with uh, some of the high performance, I mean, Quebec champions that were there at the time. Having said that, one thing I didn't do was I didn't drop my clients. You know, mm. I, I made a little modification. I kept my clients that are early in the morning. And I'm very proud to say that I've had clients for, for 15 to 20 years. Um, but it was one of the best things that could have happened for my clients because now I had a day that was not so similar from six to six, six o'clock personal training, afternoon, high performance athletes. And after being at the gym for a little while, I just got into that culture of tennis, of, of, of dealing with tennis players. And it's been very beneficial to me. It's brought me a lot of uh, joy and excitement. It's really challenged me as a strength conditioning coach to take on this this new sport that, you know, sure, I took some lessons. We probably, most of us did when we were young, picking up a racket, trying to play tennis. But it was really something new for me. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So that was good. So now I remember my questions. So I, that's, that's perfect. Are you expecting for me to? One thing I do want to know. (laughs) I feel the challenge is on. I want to prove myself. But I do want to, like, now it's going to get harder because I'm just taking you back to what you just said, which I really like that you kept your clients when you were trying something new. That's that old Polchinski principle. He was like a a Russian architect who created a principle of saying that you try something new. You make sure it's survivable. You learn from your mistakes and then try again. And that's, you followed the principle right there, man. You didn't drop everything and and risk losing everything. You kept your clients while you were trying something new. Yeah, Perfect. I, 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 wish, I wish I could say I was going on that principle. It was more along the lines that I felt guilty of, of dropping clients. <laughs> whatever provokes <laughs> whatever, it, man. Whatever, whatever provokes it. But uh, yeah, it was an, it was a nice transition, and obviously now I've been at uh, Club Coltelias for I I say over ten years, but it's been a few years since it's been over ten years, so it's been a yeah. while now. Yeah, yeah, and okay, so now you're you're training young people, they're coming in, you have uh, you see it obviously causes stress on the families of you know like I've been there, dude. I didn't. I didn't put my kids in tons of activities because I wasn't going to be a, a hockey dad and stuff. And like, I, it wasn't, my, it wasn't in my, it wasn't in the script. Um, so I can't really speak for what kind of stress comes about from those. And interestingly, both my daughters slam it at the gym right now. They're super into fitness and, and health. And I never push them into one damn thing. A lot of the kids I know who were off playing hockey and stuff and stress, their parents were super stressed getting their kids to the year. A lot of them aren't even active anymore. So I'm, I'm not saying kudos to me. I'm just saying there's a, a positive to just also sitting down with yourself and saying, hey, 
I'm not going to put my kids in a ton of sports, but I'm just going to try and lead by example in other things. Maybe that's a bonus. So anyways, for you, you get a lot of kids coming in for sports. You see what it does on the family. What's going on, man? Is it is that a shit show? Is that a, is that a problem? <laughs> well, you said something interesting in your original question, which I do I remember. don't remember yeah. that question. So you said, you know, <laughs> pushing the kids into one sport. And especially you see that in tennis where kids are just, it's tennis 24-7. They're just pushed into tennis. It's tennis, tennis, tennis all day long. What happens with that, and if you look at the long-term athletic development of an athlete, which starts at a very young age, they need multiple sports around them to become a great athlete. And tennis players, in most cases, are good tennis players, but not great athletes. And it requires a lot of athleticism to play tennis. You know, I came more from a, a football background going into tennis. So my mentality was completely different than the people involved in tennis. What happened was that I started getting them more in the weight room, which was unheard of back then. I mean, now if you're not in the weight room and, and, and a tennis player, you're truly lost. It was just changing that mentality, the culture that, listen, it's great that they're doing 10, 15 hours a week of tennis, but they must, they shouldn't. Yeah, I would say they must be doing something outside of that, especially if you're b below the age of 13, 12 can't just be playing tennis. You got to develop all your motor skills. And the younger you are, the, the more, when you're working with a young athlete, and I'm talking six to eight years old, let's say, that brain is a sponge. They can take everything in and they want to be subjected to all different types of, of sports, mm -hmm. whether it's soccer, hockey, you know, you want to think about, okay, how can I move my feet? Hand-eye, you know, coordination, gymnastics, martial arts. These, these are really things that's going to help develop a full athlete. Yeah. You said something really interesting, and that's the parents driving the kids to this and that. What everyone's forgetting is that kids should be having free time. Yeah. Fun time. Not always organize sports with a coach. Let them go out there and have fun. On the street, right? On remember the, wherever the, the Remember the car, street. car. Yeah. You're car, on the street car. with the net car. <laughs> Gotta grab the like, net. It's the amount of stress that's being put on them mentally mm -hmm. to have to perform. And we know that's exhausting. Yeah. And yeah. not enough people are putting enough time into the recovery, especially of the young, other young. They can keep going. They can do this all day. It's not true. I see some kids are showing up on a Monday. They're, they're just whacked right out. Like yeah. they look exhausted. What'd you do? Oh, I played, I played in a tournament uh, Saturday, Sunday. My first question is, why are you here? Yeah. Like take yeah. a day off. Yeah, there's, there's uh, absolutely the injury probability even for young people is there and it needs to be understood. And I think a lot of the problem is that parents don't want to miss any opportunities for their kids or something. You know, it's like, you know, I, I don't, I, maybe my kids Tiger Woods. I think we got to just trust that we're going to do the best we can and do what seems reasonable as far as activities and exposure to different things. And if you miss the thing, chances are a kid throughout their lifetime is going to find themselves in something that's similarly related to the thing that maybe they could have done when they were younger. Keep developing the person on the path and inevitably you will always find your way to where you want to go. They're trying to develop the person on the path, but at, at an accelerated rate. Because, uh -huh. And I think, I think that for myself, the, the scary combination of a parent that is overly driven for their 
child or their young athlete combined with a coach that is also driven for his own personal success. And it turns out like, you know, just a couple more lessons can make a whole difference. And, and it's always this and it's always a little more. And, and where is the ceiling on that? And I don't think we think about, I don't think people think about the ceiling enough that once you go through that ceiling of the amount of hours, injuries start to occur. And I've seen some scary, scary things for young athletes that, you know, have to require surgery. I mean, listen, tennis is a repetitive sport. Mm-hmm. So it's the same thing over and over again. If you have tennis elbow or you start having wrist problems or lower back, that's mainly due because it's a repetitive sport or you just haven't trained properly or recovered properly for it. Yeah, yeah. Wow. That's tough, man. Coaching is is really, there's so much that you have to be responsible for for these young people because I would say that you're the you're the professional. The parents aren't the professionals, but I know sometimes they have a tendency of putting their nose into it and thinking they know better than the coaches. I don't think we should get into that one too much, you know. I mean, we try to limit the amount of viewing of uh, the players by their parents during training. There are some clubs that will not even allow the parents into the club while yeah. the athletes are training. So having said that, it's just it's just a it's just a focus on what's best for the athlete without too much pressure and how to get them to perform at their best level. Listen, like you said, not everyone's going to be a Federer, not everyone's going to be a Serena Williams. Give them the best possible path with with good health around it. Well, listen, I want to ask you a couple of questions about yourself right now, you know, because I'm just thinking that uh-uh. 52 years old, you're 52, right? We're the same age. No, I'm 42. <laughs> That's what I go You're with. metabolically 42. Maybe yeah. even younger, right? Nah. What's your metabolic age? I don't know. Oh, you don't know? No. Okay. I test my metabolic age all the time. I want to know that I'm at least 10 years younger metabolically than I am chronologically. Um, so no idea. What are you doing for your fitness these days? Um, one major thing that that I've changed uh, for my fitness. There's a couple of things. A, I've really gotten into uh, stretching, myofascial strength, stretching, eldoas, <laughs> <laughs> which which we which we discussed prior to this. Um, yeah, I, but like I asked about your fitness. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's part of my I fitness. Know, that's I know. keeping it's... me healthy because I was I I was getting injured too much. I mean. Um, on my uh, 50th birthday, I did a stupid thing. Actually, my 51st birthday, I did a stupid thing where I thought on my... F- okay, this is going nowhere fast. So on my 50th birthday, what I did was I wanted to prove myself that I could bench press 100-pound dumbbells for eight <laughs> reps. And I did it. How so, many were eight? eight? Eight reps? Yeah. So 100-pound dumbbells, eight, eight reps. reps on a basu ball or... <laughs> no, just hovering above the floor. Um and then on my 51st birthday, I had this stupid idea. I'm going to do it again. But I hadn't trained for it. But I thought, this is really important. I need to do it. Don't know why. Was mm-hmm. just, as I've said it and I'll say it again. It was dumb. So I get on the bench and I have the dumbbells and I'm going. I thought, okay, I'll just do three, four. And I'm like, I'm at six. I can't stop now. And so I, pu- I push up seven. I got to get the eighth. And I, I push my head back into the bench and I had one of the worst headaches ever of my life. My neck completely seized it. It was a total oh, shit show. Man. So having said that, I realized that maybe I need to be a little smarter. But with that, with that change in program and being smarter, I actually started training less. 
and I'm okay. getting better results. Okay. Training less. I probably do more cardio and I, I don't do long endurance cardio. I only do interval training. I'll do interval training for 20, 25 minutes, four times a week. Um, pickleball. Uh, <laughs> can you get Jack doing interval training? Can you get Jack doing yeah, interval yeah. training? I don't see why not. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. why? I'm just asking. Rest rest times, you know? Yeah. Well, you mean I do interval training on a bike. I don't mean doing oh, interval training with weights. Oh, then you can't. How are you going to get jacked on a bike? Dude? You're not. Like, but <laughs> well, you just said, yeah. Oh, no, but I've... <laughs> I thought you meant like strength interval training. No, I, I thought you meant will the intervals have a negative effect on your growth? On your jackness. On my jackness. <laughs> no, if anything, it has a real positive effect on my jackness. Although I don't think I'm jacked. Why? Why does it help? Help what? your jackness. Why does the interval biking help your jackness? Body fat loss. Oh, okay. Yeah, it raises your metabolic rate for, I mean, studies show anywhere from 24, 48 hours. What about muscle loss during that? Like, you know, I'm just... I, I think if you're, if you're... Listen, they came up with a couple of studies that showed even with calorie deficit that if you still lifted weights, you, you would not lose muscle mass. So I should stop eating the Twinkies. <laughs> I think you should double up on those Twinkies, actually. I think that'd be the way to go. So that's all old school, right? Like the bulking. What, is that real, though? Like do, when if you're trying to get like really like jacked, you should be eating like a surplus of calories. Is that is that old school or like what? You know, I know that's a t that's a big question. No, but, but it's it's a, it's a fun question because you know a lot of people. There's always this big di discussion about how much protein should I have if I want to have muscle mass or if oh, I how much? <laughs> well, I mean. Again, according to conventional wisdom, it's supposed to be, you know, one gram per kilogram of body weight for a man yeah. and 0.8 for a woman. But there's multiple studies that show like two grams, you know, of uh, two grams of protein per kilogram of body weight is really uh, has a good effect for muscle size. But I, I heard that like because pro protein is so anabolic, it's not necessarily good for longevity. Like it's not great for, is that a thing? Is that I, I would say it's not good for that and it's not great for your kidneys either. Okay. okay. Puts a lot of stress on your kidneys. Okay. But I'm not taking in like my, my protein intake, I would. I, I don't think it's it's crazy high. It's probably in line with about a gram per kilogram of body weight. Okay. Yeah. So a, a guy who's my age, 52 years old, who's looking to put on some muscle, doesn't have to worry too much about overeating, just regular dietary intake of like what? Well, how many calories am I looking at? For you? Yeah. Well, let's talk about me. Mm. I'm trying to get jacked. Are you? Does it show? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting here. I'm trying to like crank my bicep know, on my I, knee. I, I'm really impressed with the way you're sitting. I'm, it's I, so nice I, and tall, and I feel like I'm hunching here. Like you're outdoing me. I'm trying to look jacked. Have. That's why I'm yeah. trying the camera. You know, for you've those, been flexed the whole time. The whole time. I'm I'm so burning right now. I'm so full of like a. Uh, the, the question is: Is that going to give you an anabolic effect from from maintaining that muscle tonus throughout isn't the this whole show? Called iso iso isometric isometric training, like just staying here flexed for an hour and something well just push against the against i the am couch. i'm pushing on everything right now <laughs> if just i was to let go i would explode <laughs> <laughs> okay well listen man um 
Dina, we're going to, I'm just going to announce because I, I just want to inform everybody that you are going to be regular on uh, Fork Podcast for the next, uh, you know, ongoing, man. Like maybe every couple of weeks you said you'd give me some of your time and we can cover some personal training discussion for young people out there who are in the, coming into the field. Everything training, everything strength, everything jacked. And uh, <laughs> how's that sound? I'm really looking forward to that. And I think um, between the two of us, because I mean, you should, uh, people should know that your knowledge in the health and wellness field is, is extraordinary. And I have a ton of respect for you that um, it, it sh I think it'd be a great segment to have and, and just tackling one issue at a time and, and looking at it and really trying to pull it apart and, and giving people ideas that uh, they can use either for themselves, uh, their clients and, and evolve from that. Yeah, I think it's an awesome idea, man. Uh, yeah, one question at a time, right? Like, I think I just tried to cover, like, everything in one podcast here today. <laughs> no, but, I mean, if... if I, and I think the questions were great. I think we went over a lot of pertinent things, a lot of, a lot of information that, you know, anybody from a personal trainer to a strength and conditioning coach to parents to coaches can, can use immediately. Oh, man, absolutely. Well, listen... Dean Hollingworth, man, I just want to thank you for being on Fork Podcast and looking forward to all of our future podcasts together. And I really have to get out of this position, man, because I have just been, I'm swole now. <laughs> You're also sweating a lot, but it doesn't show. You have an awesome day, dude. Thanks, you too. Thanks you for guys, having me. You guys out there have an awesome day too. Bye-bye.